Hello and welcome to my humble podcast. Now I'm going to let you guys know that I either have a cold or a hay fever. I'm not sure which one, but I do sound very raspy. So let's hope my voice stays on for the duration of this sesh, right? So anyway, last episode, I kicked off everything, opening up about my struggles with my true self. I was hiding behind an identity born out of fear and a desperate need to people please. And coming out of my first serious relationship in my 20s, I pretty much had no sense of boundaries with people because I was afraid of rejection. I just wanted everybody to like me. So my ability to say no or stand up for myself wasn't overly strong yet. I couldn't receive unconditional love from others because I didn't know how to love myself. And I wanted to take this episode, do a little rewind, lean back into my values and beliefs. And one of my favorite things I recently heard from Deepak Chopra is nobody can change their mind by trying to change their mind. Nobody can get rid of a thought by using a thought, meaning you cannot conceptualize a thought or a feeling by giving it a label. It means you're still in your mind and ego. You're basically attempting to explain and judge whatever is underneath that. Thoughts are messengers that are there to get our attention, raise the flag that there is something subconscious we need to acknowledge. Oftentimes, we just have to feel the emotion that accompanies the thought. We process and then we move on. It sounds simple, but we lose this simplicity as we get older and integrate into social conventions. I mean, look at kids. They just respond to what they're feeling. They don't overthink anything. They're frustrated. They scream. They're sad. They cry. They're happy. They laugh. They feel love. They cuddle. We often learn how to moderate our feelings we just not process them <laughs> depending on our experiences and how we are shaped really determines how we learn to self-regulate part of how we integrate our values and beliefs about ourselves and the world begins how well we understand being able to identify process and release emotions i really think our values and beliefs are shaped by our experiences I mean, if you're a fish that's judged by its ability to climb a tree, then you will spend your whole life believing that you're not good enough. And we take our encounters in life and create our reality based on that. If you're told that you're fat and stupid often enough, you will start to believe that whether you like it or not. That belief begins to underpin all of your behavior. It definitely, it's definitely not a one size fits all with how we will manifest externally though. It goes hand in hand with other life experiences. So if you're told you're fat and stupid, but also exist in an environment where problems are solved with aggression or violence, then lashing out is going to be more likely a coping mechanism to protect that deep-seated insecurity of I'm fat and stupid. The reaction and response becomes so ingrained that the origin of the original self-limiting belief may not be recognizable without some really deep-seated self-reflection and maybe therapy. And conversely, someone growing up hearing they're fat and stupid might learn to withdraw as a coping mechanism. If you're taught to shrink and dim yourself to avoid the pain of that self-limiting belief, then any number of behaviors might appear. Uh, People-pleasing, self-harm, unhealthy attachments, so many things, right? And I think oftentimes we have to examine the root of being told things like you're fat and stupid as it stems back to worth. There could be two people who feel unworthy and both will have learned different coping mechanisms and behaviors to protect the unprocessed emotion attached to it. 
every time that self-limitation is triggered, it fortifies the boundary of protection and that behavior will become more ingrained. I do wholeheartedly think our beliefs are one of the most difficult things to change because it requires such commitment to going deeper into ourselves and unlocking the good and the bad stuff that created those beliefs in the first place. And just so you don't think I'm talking out of my hat, I do think it's important I talk a bit about my own experiences here because I am speaking from a lived place of awareness. And as much as I would love to paint myself in this golden light, I have to be honest, I don't always see myself that way. Now, I don't claim to be a doctorate qualified psychanalyst or anything so prestigious. Mate, I am not giving advice because I am not perfect. I am just someone who has been through some heavy stuff and spent a lot of time in the shit pit of healing. (laughs) And I feel like this podcast is kind of an F you to all the fake perfection floating around out there. Right, so rewind. Looking back, I had a pretty amazing childhood. I grew up in a big family. My mum had five sisters and my dad had three sisters. I knew both sets of grandparents and all my cousins. I honestly thought that having a big family gathering every other weekend was just normal. And my parents, although not perfect, are still married today. And I think they demonstrated a healthy relationship to my sister and I. I literally grew up assuming that you met your true love and that connection should be special. I'm not saying that everything was a fairy tale or that my parents got everything right. But we grew up never worrying about adult problems like paying bills, social media, moving around. My family were not the people who were going to talk openly about sex or be comfortable discussing normal things like puberty. I actually remember my mum brought me a stack of Dolly Doctor magazines and left them on the kitchen table for me to read. I actually learned a lot from them and I wonder, are they still around? Because they were pretty helpful. But there was always this unspoken feeling that when you found that person, it should be special. You get married and it took work every day. I was never explicitly told not to be promiscuous. But for some reason, I had this deep-seated belief that intimacy wasn't going to be something to share with everyone. Even though some beliefs can be self-limiting, like I spoke about before and in my previous episode, where I developed this feeling that there was something wrong with me, Some beliefs can be unquestionably aligned to the essence of who we truly are. It's hard to explain, but I think those ones feel right somehow. There's a lightness in that feeling, probably because it's more connected to our true self rather than the harsher external world. I suppose you could say that I believed, and I still do, in true unconditional love. And even though I was afraid of being seen, I still felt held in this belief close to my heart. And I wonder if that's part of why I wanted to find that with my first boyfriend, the one who was not emotionally mature enough yet. Uh, May still not be, I don't know. I valued intimacy and connection. I just didn't realize it. And all my subsequent behavior really did kind of reflect that. In my childhood, I had integrated that belief based on my experience of constantly being exposed to strong women in equal partnerships. And yet, there was this type of traditional gender role playing out. Most of my mum's sisters chose to stay home and raise the kids and their husbands went to work. My own father worked two jobs when my sister and I were little so that my mum could stay home. I never went to daycare and I remember always spending time with my grandparents, aunties and cousins. I'm inclined to tread carefully here as I know it's a bit of a sensitive topic for many. 
I was exposed constantly to my family's values and traditions. I grew up with a sense of security and learned to engage in conversations, debates, and encouraged to have an opinion. I believed that my voice was worthy. Although what I grew up learning was considered more conservative by today's standards, I really do not think it's a bad thing. The women in my family seeded love and safety for me and all the children. The men were, they married were always respectful and I could always see a well of connection and partnership. The women in my family, my own mother included, are incredibly intelligent. Many have helped their partners build successful companies whilst raising families. Controversially, I think there's a myth that women who choose to put family first are somehow missing out. Women can have it all, just not all at once. I've learned that myself. I was running a successful fitness studio before COVID, but the amount of time and energy it consumed at that scale meant that raising a family with equal priority would have been impossible. I grappled with the unfairness of it for a really long time. My husband didn't have to make the same sacrifices. The weight of responsibility fell on me as the woman. And this is statistically the case for a majority of women in the Western world. I literally battled my own femininity and the message from Western society that I was a failure if I couldn't do it all. I was immersed in a strong family unit for most of my childhood where I felt safe and loved. Yet, by contrast, society was saying that women should be striving for ambitious achievements, reaching pinnacles of career and motherhood simultaneously. Mm. There's 24 hours in a day and I can tell you, motherhood requires all of them, at least for the first few years. And that deflated feeling that so many women get after having a child is associated with the beliefs that if we can't expand ourselves beyond capacity, we have failed. We've failed at being a mom who just can't do it all. We don't enjoy every minute of motherhood. We fail. We can't sustain our career or our business. We fail. We don't have an amazing social life. We fail. We don't bounce back straight after having the baby. We fail. We don't look refreshed and put together all the time. We fail. It's fucked. It took me such a long time and losing a child and my business within two or three years to realize that we've been sold a lie. After having my own child, I realized that I still needed to have things for myself, including my own business. It just needed to be reshaped. One of the first things I recognized was the need to be completely present in my child's life, that I wanted her to be around family and close friends who shared my values and beliefs. My husband and I decided early on not to send her to daycare. We are fortunate enough to be in a position that allows me to be home with her most of the time, but we've had to make a lot of sacrifices to get there. I'm talking thousands of hours spent nurturing businesses, education and training, foregoing big luxuries like holidays, but also smaller ones like getting manis, getting my lashes done, spray tans. We don't drink alcohol and we don't go out for lavish dinners very often. We assessed our values and prioritized the steps that allowed us to stay true to them. I know there are valid reasons why people choose not to send their kids to daycare, and I'm not sharing this to make anyone feel inadequate about their circumstances. There is no judgment here. But this is where my value and belief system have led me. It's not easy to know what you value and then stay true to them in a world that will continuously throw conflict and challenges at you. My own dad worked two jobs, one during the day and one at night, so that we had the opportunity to be with family most of the time. And like I said, I didn't realize how unusual my upbringing was in so many ways. So if you're wondering, no, I did not come from 
a family with a lot of financial wealth. Yes, I was wealthy in different ways, just not money-wise. My grandparents were, and I'm not going to say poor, but they did have to count every cent. And that generation, they made it work because women just weren't as commonly pulled into the workforce. But to this day, my nan always says her greatest accomplishment is her huge family. And I am 100% here for that now that I have my own kid. We lost my maternal grandfather a couple of years ago during the pandemic. And my nan was surrounded by her six daughters and many of her grandkids. I look at how the world is today and we've lost this sense of village and family. It's so grief inducing as a mum, and I'm going to admit this, to think about strangers or people outside my own village having a hand in raising my child. <laughs> I know many people feel pushed or forced into that now, but that feeling of guilt runs deep. If we can't even raise our own children and earn a huge wage, we failed again. We get 18 weeks paid maternity leave by our government in Australia and dads get two weeks at full pay. Then we are at the mercy of our employer to hold a job for us or pay additional leave. And I see both sides of that. The government doesn't demonstrate that families are highly valued in society. Your value relies upon your ability to work, to be the cog in a machine. My own local council only offers maternal health visits until the baby's eight weeks old. It used to be up until the age of two years. So yeah, let that sink in. Where is the tribe? Where is the care? There isn't any. And as a first time mum, that can be so overwhelming. And look, I don't think the, the owners should just fall squarely on businesses and employers to be resourceful enough to support families entirely either. After an awful couple of years with the pandemic and a looming recession, medium to small sized businesses are crumbling as it is, often through no fault of their own. So finding additional money to subsidize up to 12 months of wages for women on maternity leave, plus hiring and training a temp in their place, it's not going to lead anywhere good. Either businesses will fold under the financial pressure, or we'll see an increase in young women being overlooked for positions in favor of men or older women. No one should overtly say it, but it does make sense, even though it's not fair. And I think, where does that leave us? The call to tribalism runs deep within us and feeling alone is not how we are wired. You might not be agreeing with me and the people pleaser in me is screaming right now, but I will reiterate this. I'm speaking from my own experience and the conclusions that I've come to. In my teens and early 20s, I kind of rejected the idea of traditionalism. I built my own successful business. I did the power woman thing in my 20s and it left me feeling like I had been lied to. I have a feminine core and I will get into that in another session and I had to really go against the grain of who I am and lean into the masculine ambition strength achievement and mate, I was good at it but I often felt burned out and like the essence of what I wanted my business to be and what I had to do to make it that way they were definitely not in alignment my values and beliefs were conflicted and I'm kind of grateful that I set this expectation myself so early in life. I think it meant that I was never going to settle for anything less. I do kind of feel a sense of disappointment for a lot of people today. We all seek connection, but most of the time we lack connection with our own fundamental beliefs and selves. So we buy into the narrative of exposing ourselves, often literally on social media and dating platforms. And I see so many people getting physically naked online looking for validation, I suppose. And it's all empty, isn't it? 
there's nothing really fulfilling in hiding behind a screen and asking strangers to validate you. And this is something that I have always been careful of. I believe there's a line between exposing yourself in an attempt to garner attention and being embodied and intentional. And I do worry for my daughter in this digital age. It seems like most people under the age of 25 these days has an OnlyFans account. It scares me because it doesn't require any talent of any kind and it makes more money than a lot of degree qualified jobs out there. It's a modern day form of prostitution. And I hope that I can instill my values into my daughter now and teach her not to become part of the supply and demand. That her value does not depend on what's between her legs or what a stranger on the internet is willing to pay for it. It's not liberation or even clever to get paid to take your clothes off. It's one of the oldest professions in the world. (laughs) And men don't see liberation in it. They see boobs. Why would they object to that? And I guess... I wouldn't want to be relying on my naked body to be a commodity, something for sale. Coming back to my values, I believe that we can use our bodies for sacred acts of intimacy with people we love and have a connection with. Our bodies are beautiful life givers that can birth babies. I'm the biggest advocate for loving your body. Be proud of it. Use it. Show it off if you feel like it. But don't sell it under the guise of empowerment. I can draw on an experience I had from when I was in my mid-20s. I was doing some photographic work, a little bit of modeling, and one of the photographers pushed me to strip down. It actually happened more than once, but this one I distinctly remember because I feel like I didn't really respect my own values. And the photographer was a male, and we somehow ended up being alone for this shoot, which should have been a red flag. It was weird. Anyway, I started, it started off pretty reasonable and he had, then he gradually kept asking me to remove more and more items of clothing until I would have been topless. And I knew that I wasn't okay with nudity. I kept resisting whatever he asked. I didn't actually end up fully frontally naked, but by the end of it, I was sort of just kind of covering up the nips and I felt violated. I knew that I had dishonored my beliefs and boundaries on some level. And I think that learning experience created a sense of awareness around what I would put on social media. Like this was right before social media blew up. So it was like that precipice of going, what is going to move on from here? And I know how uncomfortable it felt with just one person looking at me through that lens, exposed and vulnerable. And there are some photos that I put up exposing a butt cheek or some extra skin, but not in the way that would be considered sexy. I've never wanted to use my body as a means to arouse a stranger on the internet. I mean, if they get turned on by my can- being candid about my cellulite on my bum, I'm not going to even go there. I want to use my platform to authentically empower women about what real bodies look like and practice self-love in the real sense of the word. But look, I think it was more than that. To be proud of your body but I don't believe in offering it to anyone and everyone. And I mean that in the literal and metaphysical sense. When I was single going out to clubs and spending a decent amount of time partying, I had a hand on my heart can say I never slept around. And look, I do not judge anyone who has or does. It just didn't feel right to me. And I think when we open up to someone on an intimate level, especially sharing our bodies, it's an exchange of energy we need to resonate with that person's energy and feel safe in it. And that, that's when we really connect. And I read that we take on other people's energy, a bit like a net. And when we become sexually intimate with somebody, we're also taking on everything caught in their net. 
And I had a lot of healing to do myself. And I sure as shit did not need anyone else's debris clogging me up. And my husband and I will talk about this sometimes. And he often says that he appreciates how I chose to live my life before we met. He was in awe of how strongly I protected this belief of connection when so many other young women my age were following the trend of sleeping around and, you know, looking for something in that. And I just always had this deep sense of that's not me. That's not how I'm going to find it. And again, no judgment, but this is my journey. But look, I think it was more than that because it comes back to what I believed in. And I believed in the value of love. I believed in the value of family. And I knew that that's what I was looking for, even at a young age. And I knew that when I entered into a physical interaction with another person, I had the intention of it being long term. I didn't get it right every time because at the end of the day, I don't have control over how other people behave or respond. I was still very young and learning what felt right to me. And sometimes our mistakes can teach us more than anything else can. I'm actually okay with sexual liberation and women's ability to be selective about their reproductive health. I just wonder if maybe it's gone too far and we're trying to find love, connection and tribe from a place of lack instead of a place of abundance. It's easy enough to take off your clothes and get physically naked with someone or be on the internet and do it, whatever. But to be emotionally and energetically naked takes time and a building of trust. I suppose we all carry core beliefs. Most of the time we operate in a state of unawareness about how they're influencing our behaviors and actions. I think my generation, I'm a millennial, so if not the Gen Zs, but you know, those uncool millennials, and certainly ones after mine have shifted into this mentality of finding love and connection is as simple as swiping right or DMing on Tinder. Like, you know, what is that like DTF? <laughs> like I said, I've been through times of learning and exploring. I've misstepped, but I was lucky that I had a strong sense of worth to put me back on the path that I needed to be. And as much as I was creating an identity and allowing ego to navigate the ship sometimes, underneath that was something more powerful, and it was my beliefs. I learned lessons the way we all do by experiencing them firsthand. But I also sat in the vibration of it and recognized that it didn't feel good or resonate with my true self. Whenever I found myself in situations of needing to disconnect or attention seek, it was out of insecurity and ego. It takes a lot of self-forgiveness and self-reflection to realize that it's not streaming from a place that will serve you. And as you know, Christians say, sin feels good, but it just doesn't feed your soul. It starts needing more and more of the same high from it. And that path leads nowhere good, in my opinion. Beliefs are the hardest things to shift. Think about it this way. Have you ever tried to convince someone to switch football teams? You could make every compelling argument in the book. They could be the biggest bunch of losers, that team, year in, year out. And yet the loyalty will see that person still showing up to games every week. I mean, who knows what their beliefs in that team is? Maybe they grew up watching them, so there's attachment. Maybe they like the club's ethos. Maybe the coach is their best mate. It, it doesn't matter. The point is, once a thought and an emotion is inserted, inserted into our belief system, it ingrains itself. And the emotional attachment is what makes beliefs hard to unravel. And beliefs can work for us or against us. I think our beliefs and values act like a compass in our life. They point us in the direction 
and often shape the identity that we show the world. So what are your real fundamental beliefs? Now, look, this part, I would encourage you to actually spend some time really sitting with what do you value in life? What do you believe? And then really go deeper into that. If you believe that you're not worthy, then how has the behaviors that you've demonstrated in your life played out? How does that repeat itself over and over again? Because it becomes unconscious. We keep doing the same thing out of habit. It becomes a pattern. So if you say that you value family, what behaviors, what habits, what attitudes do you have that demonstrate that? And that comes down to the beliefs that you have about yourself as much as the other stuff that goes around it. So yeah, write it down. Spend some time with this. It sounds superficially very easy to do. Yes, I value X, Y, Z. I believe X, Y, Z. But there's always more going on just below it. So write it down and then sit with it and then see what else comes through that goes deeper beyond that. And that's when the real magic starts to happen. And it takes time. So don't rush this. Anyway, beautiful people, thank you for listening. If you're wondering what my little upsell is, well, I have put together a program called Reset. And it's mindfulness without the BS. A big chunk of this program actually does focus on values, beliefs, purpose, position and why, understanding why we do things, why we want things. And that comes down to the values and the beliefs. So really interesting, cool stuff that I'm doing in this program. Uh, None of it's just made up by reading a magical book. It's all from my real life experiences, the time and the energy and all all the things that you have to think and feel and go through to be able to really positively reflect all this stuff and condense it into a program that makes sense for other people. But that is what I feel called to do. And if what I'm talking about in my podcast is resonating with you, then this might be something that's saying, hey, you come and have a chat with me. Um, So right now I'm just taking applications for February in 2023 and I will be doing more. So if you're hearing this after 2023, don't stress. I'm going to apply the application link into the captions and you guys can just pop down, have a look, see if what I'm doing is cool and you like it and book yourself in for a chat. It will be with me because I'm not outsourcing any of that. I genuinely want to talk to people, meet people and figure out if I'm their guide for them. So anyway, thank you for listening. It all sounds pretty awesome because it is. And I want you to come back, listen to another one of my podcasts if you can. And let's keep this ball rolling. Thanks, guys. Stay awesome.